I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Georgia Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. On this episode, Kerry man Tommy Heffernan, also known as Tommy the Vet, a veterinary consultant based in Wicklow, joins us to talk about water quality, the sometimes forgotten nutrient. Do you have stock drinking directly from streams or rivers? And if so, what effect is this having on animal health and performance? Cow signals. What signs should we look out for in our animals to make sure they're in good health in order to maintain a high level of performance, in particular in relation to water? Pathogens. What potentially are animals consuming when drinking directly from a stream? And also, what are they putting back into the river? With pika on the rise on some farms, would multi-species swords have a role to play in solving mineral deficiencies and improving rumen health on farms? Tommy, welcome to the show. Um, first thing I suppose just to ask you, can you tell us a bit about your journey as in veterinary medicine and maybe suppose from practice vet to educator and maybe influencer if I could use that question or that word? Uh, a little bit uncomfortable with that. Thanks very much, Cahal and Deirdre, for having me on and well done on, on the podcast. Um, yeah, look, I've had an interesting journey. It sounds like the American phrase you talk about going through life as a journey. But yeah, I've been in uh, vet practice for 16 years, general practice here in Wicklow. I um, was a partner for 10 years of that. Ups and downs of practice was not easy. Um, and for the last three and a half years, I've been working as a consultant, doing various roles, and um, I suppose, yeah, I'm in the education space a lot now. Um, my traditional veterinary work maybe is, 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 is going down all the time, but uh, lots of experience. And I suppose those experiences are, and, and particularly failures have been um, uh, big learnings for me and sort of keep me grounded on kind of uh, when I am educating people, understanding the realities of how hard life can be. Because certainly when you're in the education space and you talk about the wonderful things, the way the world should be, you can often become detached from the realities of how difficult maybe even farming can be at times. So I try and keep myself grounded um, and, and remember my own failures along the way. Yeah, I think that's important. If you're not on the farm every now and again, it's very hard. And I know you mentioned this before we, we, we started the show is that, you know, if you're underground, you can see the realities and the hardships that, that farmers have to deal with lots of different things. Health just been one of them, and we're from the environmental side, so it's a big juggling act. They're looking at finances, they're looking at prices, all the other stuff as well. So there's a lot to deal with. There's huge amount, and see the weather. I mean, look at the struggles now. I get to talk to a lot of farmers. Um, grass is just grass growth has stalled, um, and you know, just a diff- another difficult stress and challenge on top of everything else. Um, and I'm very, very conscious as well. And I know we're talking, we're on an environmental podcast, incredibly important subject, probably the subject of the next decade, not just in farming. But, you know, um, I think people need to be mindful of how difficult farming is. And that yes, we will get there around some of the environmental challenges and we, we're making massive progress, but there's a lot of pressure. So that negative stuff that farmers hear at difficult times, people shouldn't underestimate the impact that has on people on the ground. Yeah, and you've just set it up nicely there first for the next question. At the moment, we've had very little rain in, in certainly in the southeast of the country for the last month or so. Growth rates are very, very poor at the moment. It's a lot of hay being made at the moment, actually, but um, the soil moisture deficit around the southeast, particularly in Wexford, Kilkenny, up those parts, up into Dublin, Wicklow is, is between 50 and 60 at the moment. So we're, we're, we're getting close to drought conditions. So we're talking about water, um, water quality uh, in relation to animal health and also environment. But you, you've described in the past that as water has been sometimes the forgotten nutrient. Can you tell me what you mean by that? 
Yeah, so um, certainly when I qualified and spent a lot of time in looking at the science, got very you know conscious about diseases and specific diseases and how they work. But I sort of have found myself over my career going back to really the biological needs of the animal, understanding what are the basic things we really need to get right. Okay, feeding, space, and hygiene. But water is one of those critical elements for animal health. Any animals, ourselves. And if we think about our ruminants in particular, um, okay, right down to uh, cell level water is important, but we're not often feeding the cows, we're feeding the bugs and the rumen. That rumen is so important, it's a big fermentation bat. So clean, available water is so vital for, the, for, for, for our ruminants. And I suppose now when I really emphasize this, because when temperatures are increasing for, for cows, they're actually quite prone to heat stress. Over 21 degrees, they come under a bit of pressure. So they're going to consume more water. So if it's such a critical element, we need to focus on it. And it's something that's for some reason or another, it's overlooked because maybe look, a lot of the elements we put into farming, they have a commercial value. And you know that drives a lot of information around certain areas, be it minerals or vaccines or whatever it might be. But you know, there's not a huge commercial angle to water. So we tend to leave it, maybe forget about it at times. Yeah, and I think that's, that's a really good point you made because uh, I suppose farmers always, we, you're talking about cows come under stress or beef or stock, whatever stock you have. And look, if, if what I'd be worried about sometimes from the environmental side is we're trying to maybe get animals out of rivers because if the animal's in the river, it's 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 putting pressures on the rivers. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on maybe, but I suppose it also affects the production side. If the water's not maybe clean enough or if there's issues with water or maybe if they're not getting enough water um, or they have to travel too far from water, it can, it can affect maybe the bulk tank or maybe the beef production. So I suppose you talk a bit about cow signals, Tommy, um, and what, what kind of signs would we look out for maybe animals or cow signals that or cattle signals that might be an issue with an animal in relation to water or lack of water even? Well, the obvious ones that you'll see with a sick animal is their actual eye position, whether it be calves or cows, is obviously a great way of looking at dehydration. Um, so if the eyes are starting to sink back in the head, the coat condition itself, when animals are drinking lots of water, coat condition, that shine on the coat. I know it's a very general term, um, but those simple things, like, I mean, skin tent can be used where you pull out skin and you watch how quickly it flicks back. But you know, people who are look, used to looking at stock will know, you know, they talk about, a, I'm from Kerry, talking about a shine off animals. Um, and when you have less water, um, you're going to affect everything to do with that animal. And the problem with, uh, there's a couple of problems, obviously, with, you know, water sources, be it streams or rivers, is you cannot control that, that, that inputs. And, you know, water is a massive, massive impact in production. And just last week, uh, like I'm involved in two farms, um, we have these little boluses and cows that measure water intakes. And we got all these water intakes alerts last week and um, the cows were in a field where there was a problem with the trough. And that day, um, there's 150, 45 cows going into the tank. The, the, the litres were back by 150 litres that day. So that was a very visual. And I said to the guys, we've got to be keeping an eye on water because there you are. Look, there's like most of the other inputs are the same. And I've no doubt that the water was, was the main reason there. So, yeah, we want clean, available water and we need to be able to control that. So trough size is really important, flow rate, all those sort of things. And when you're going into a stream or a river uh, and looking at that, is, of course, there's huge issues. But from an animal health and production perspective, we really aren't providing the cows properly with adequate amounts of water. I'm glad that the, the bolus numbers are adding up there as well, that there's a, uh, you know, an issue with, with the bulk tank because I've been talking to farmers about this a lot. Um, like, I, like I said before, I always come, uh, I, I suppose, a two-fork approach. 
if cows have a good setup, good system place for trucks and lots of water, keep them out of the river, you're solving environmental issues and you're solving production issues. So that's a really good point. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Tommy, was just cows walking in and out of rivers, you have wet areas, and sometimes when you're onto rivers, there's high water tables, there's a lot of water around it. Is there issues maybe around liver fluke and foot rot? And even on the farms I've come across where I've seen a lot of badger sets on banks of rivers, and, and I'd be a little bit worried about what would be going on in that water, maybe upstream of um, where cows or cattle are drinking. Yeah, again, we just can't control it. We don't know. And all, all those things are risk. They can be very farm specific, certainly from a wildlife perspective. Certainly when you've, um, like cows are, 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 they tend to, like you will see from the National Geographic, from the buffaloes, that they tend to drink together and come out. To, they're a herd species. So, you know, you get a lot of trampling, a lot of dirt and a lot of environmental conditions where the feces and the water and the, the mucky conditions, you can, you can it's, a, it's a real disease risk area, okay? Plus, we don't know what's in the water. Um, and plus, of course, fluke are certainly, um, particularly from September onwards, they're the types of conditions those parasites like. And I know for many years, Years now we you know the fluke control we talk about uh, fencing off wet areas at risk times to reduce fluke because flukes are massively uh, important economic disease and, and health disease for cows so there's so much risk with it and it's I suppose again when you're there and you're doing something for years and you can't see these things you don't it's, it's hard to explain it but there's on so many levels Cahal, there's disease risk we don't know about production issues and certainly waterborne diseases we could be looking at and of course from the environmental perspective, we just don't want cows in there as well. It's chicken and egg. There's there's a, there, there, there's two challenges. But from a production and a disease point of view, you're better off fencing off those waterways, wet areas, because again, you don't want the foot to be in damp conditions because that's where martillaro and other diseases can potentially spread. Yeah, and I suppose a lot of farmers are familiar with that kind of stuff. But uh, tell me a little bit, you mentioned a little bit about bacteria and stuff in the room, and tell me a little bit about pathogens and maybe some of the issues that arise from pathogens in rivers or maybe even you've mentioned before the show about maybe actually animals putting them back into the river so uh, when you look so, so when you look at pathogens in water there's no doubt about it that they can be in and it's not just rivers or lakes it can be in our own water systems within farms so we need to really focus on clean uh, health uh, available water so when you look at there's lots of bacterial pathogens that like water sources um, and if we look at potentially some of the ones like, I mean, there's, there, there's different risk levels. If we look at even maybe, um, and it's a risk both ways, if you look at um, antibiotic resistance, one of the challenges we talk about is one health and that the animals and humans were sharing the same environment. So when humans, which are, can be a big source of bacteria, resistant bacteria, our animals are sharing waterways, that's a risk of transfer. So um, I think there's lots of diseases. I mean, to list off the waterborne diseases we could be worried about, I mean, we could be here for a while, but it's just to know that clean available water is something we can control within the farm. When we get into the river, that's a thing we, we probably lose in control because we don't know what's going on upstream. Yeah, and I suppose what, the ones that we'd be common that we'd hear about maybe it's like selector or crypto or scours, mastitis. And like you said, there could be any list of them, but um, they're ones that farmers are worried. And we're talking about production, but it can also give fertility issues and that kind of stuff as well, Tommy, can they? They can, yeah. So listeria can be waterborne. Um, cryptosporidium is a real challenge because, um, okay, people think about cryptosporidium in calves. Um, okay, and that's when we're going to see the clinical symptoms. But the source of that cryptosporidium that keeps it going year on year on farm, and, and I'm doing some interesting work on that at the moment, looking at crypto in different places. 
but the cow is the source. So, so on farms, when we've looked at crypto, we've looked at the cow dung just to see very small levels, but it's the initial source for the challenge. So, um, yeah, I think we've just got to be mindful. Actually, mastitis pathogens I've seen on our own farm. Now, this is not in rivers, right? This is in our own water troughs where we've had poor water quality. I've picked up E. coli's, I've picked up actually, again, I have to stress, I'm not, it's not a research farm, it's not, this is just my own observations because I culture a lot of bacteria and I'm interested in them, but it's by no means um, um, scientific research or peer-reviewed, peer but I picked up strep uberus in water, which is a pathogen a lot of farmers will know about because it's one of the predominant mastitis pathogens we see now, particularly during breeding time, because cows, when they come into heat, have a increase in estrogen. That estrogen actually reduces down immunity in in the other, and they actually we see a lot of clinical mastitis during breeding. And the common pathogen we see is strep uberus, and that's dangerous because it can go from a clinical mastitis to being transferred in the in the in the milking parlor, causing cell count issues. So. Yeah, there's a lot of things that water, unfortunately, water is huge positives now. We're, we're, we're really put painting water in a bad light here, but it, there is risks around pathogens when it comes to water. Yeah, no, and I think, look, you, you've made a re really important point. Probably sent shivers up the spines of farmers in the last five minutes of our conversation, but I think the reality situation is um, the important thing is to make sure our animals get clean water and we should do everything in our power to, to achieve that and not just clean water but enough water as well so that that's vitally important enough is such an important thing clean available water it is the forgotten nutrient and you'll see it production wise when it's when it's looked after and there's so many elements then within water we're mentioning microbes but or we're mentioning bacteria um but you look at you know sulfur iron other things that can be in water that can affect minerals up mineral uptake so there's there's quite a bit and you know one thing i would really encourage farmers to do is test water to see what the elements that are the inorganic elements that are in there um look at maybe pathogens that might be in water supplies and, and talk about that and and again i i like people to tissue test grass so we know sort of what's there and what's going into our animals from a mineral perspective because it gives us a better idea because uh, we're, we're we're you know we're very good at putting out buckets and bolusing and everything like that but we often don't see what's actually there and water quality is something i think maybe every two years farms should be testing and i know they're doing it through co-ops anyway but it, it's an important thing to test I suppose, Tommy, from this conversation, we're kind of coming to the conclusion that cattle are very, very sensitive to decreasing for to decreasing water quality or or, or good water quality. Um, have you come across any issues with animals and contaminated wells? Are, are individuals testing enough? Do you think? Are they even aware of the issue um, with water quality um, and and well sources? Um, I think it's probably not been on radars. Again, I think the conversation we're, we're like this is we're, we're all ever evolving. So we're all like, I mean, we're having a discussion about it today. So we're all part of that education piece. Um, I don't think there's enough maybe thought put into, you know, because it's obviously farm wells. What is the water quality in the well like? Um, and it's very interesting because I do a lot of mastitis work um, where we look at environmental pathogens. Um, and these are caused a lot of clinical mastitis. And okay, they come, a lot of them come from cow feces and hygiene, but you know, part of that process now has become looking at water sources because if we've got a lot of environmental pathogens in water, they make their way into the rumen, the, the digestive system, and they make their way out onto the ground where the cows and, and others are going to be lying. Uh, so I think, yeah, we need to get better at probably looking at water quality issues on farm, knowing what the water is like, but then a real focus inside the farm on what affects good quality water, which is flow rate, 
available trough size, all those sort of things. And actually looking into water troughs and seeing, you know, what's the water like? And okay, people would say, sure, cow's a cow, they're fairly hardy, they're gonna drink anything. But that's not sort of where we want to go when we want to maximize production and health. Tommy, where water quality is good, could there be an issue with palatability and water? You know, the way you could have like sulfates, magnesium levels, phosphate levels, they might be at an acceptable level. Where does it become unpalatable to the animal, even when the quality is, is seen to be good? Yeah, so if we take away the, the pathogens and the bugs that we might be looking at, there are certainly things, elements in water that will make it un, unpalatable. Sulfur is one, but you'll smell that sulfur, that rotten egg type smell. Um, you know, that's something you'd worry about. Sometimes very high iron will make will have issues around palatability as well. And they're very, once a smell thing you'll see, you know, you some farms who've had sulfur issues will know because they'll, they'll have that smell around waterways, particularly in around the milking parlor. Again, with iron, you'll see it in your pipes and stuff like that. Both those elements, okay, can affect palatability of water, but they've quite big consequences inside because of their interactions with other minerals, particularly locking up copper um, and high levels of sulfur aren't great for, for the cow's rumen it's, itself. So I suppose they are some of the, the obvious elements. Um, when it comes to phosphates and other things like that, it, I wouldn't have an, any sort of experience there, but um, how do we measure uh, water intakes is a challenge. Now, I've been lucky that I've worked with different companies with different systems that track water behavior and water consumption so we can see it um, but i think just be aware of the obvious things around water consumption so smell and you know tainting and, and iron so they're very obvious ones you can see it's the smell of sulfur and the iron staining you'll see in parlors in, in waterways brilliant so Cahill and i are both asap advisors so we're working um on on that and we're seeing the science in some of the river bodies um, with elevated nitrate levels. Um, so the pH of water obviously can impact on animal health. Um, it can be, become a, a stressor, I suppose, if it goes below pH 5.5. Um, with, with nitrates entering water sources, um, could this become more of an issue in the future, do you think, Tommy? Um it's a good question um, and probably beyond my expertise, to be honest with you, my own opinion would be it's not it's not where we want to be, um, particularly from, I suppose, a rumen health perspective. When we think of the, the rumen and where the, 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 the pH of the rumen should be, it's mildly alkalotic pre-calving, mildly acidotic mildly now um, uh, post-calving. Um, we don't really want to be driving down the rumen pH now. It would, it would have to go pretty low on water to affect it. But if we do that, we affect the microflora in the rumen. And that's what we're feeding in the cow. We often think we're feeding the cow. We're feeding the bugs in the rumen. So good water quality, the right pH, all those fine balances like fiber has a huge impact. So I, the answer is I don't know. But from, I suppose, basic science would tell me nitrates and lower pH is not where we want to be around water. Exactly, yeah. Um, on one of your vlogs, um, you raised the issue of pika, um, with some farmers not doing herbage analysis and not really knowing what the mineral content is in, in, in a monoculture, for example, um, and it can be a challenge. Um, do you see a role going forward for multi-species grasses and animal health? I absolutely do. I'm a huge fan of multi-species, but the, the problem is for me, I'm not the person trying to sow it and get the persistency right, which is a challenge, but 
I would be very, very excited about multi-species swords on a couple of levels. Um, on the animal health level, from a rumen perspective, I think from what I'm seeing from farmers I'm engaging with, it's it's really, really positive. Um, again, because back to that rumen health, the diversity of bugs in the rumen, the diversity of sward types, fiber, all those sort of things, minerals, really, really good. And I think from a root structure point of view, particularly if we look at pika, I saw pika for the first time 12 years ago. I'll never forget it because I hadn't a clue what I was really looking at and cows eating stones. And I've seen it exponentially increase over the years. I mean, this year, I, I quite quite a lot of farms struggle with pika. Um, and early on, it was phosphorus. Now I looked at, okay, colder temperatures can affect phosphorus, but why are we seeing more pika? That's the question I think we need to look at. And I think from what I'm seeing with minerals and particularly root structure, soil, the rise of fear of the, of the plant, um, I think all those things uh, will benefit, particularly mineral, mineral absorption in soil health, because a lot of the pea is there, it's just not been uptake by the plant. And certainly with monocultures, they're fantastic from an efficiency point of view, um, and they're great to have, but they do physiologically have challenges around mineral absorption. And I've seen that, and, I'm, and I've seen minerals, I've been tracking mineral analysis for, for 12 years now on silages, and I see them declining. Um, so that's the question. I think we need to do more research on it. And again, it's easy for someone like me to say, oh, look, we all need to be engaging with mixed species swords. But... Um, there is its challenges, but I would say from an animal health perspective, I'd be very excited about the potential of mixed species swords. I think they're also finding that, um, you know, some of the research coming from Tommy Boland and Helen Sheridan, you're seeing reduced anthelmintic use in some of these um, swords as well. You know, that's one of the benefits of it as well. Um, okay, so we look at you, you've done some work on oxygenation levels um, in water and, you know, BOD and eutrophication obviously affect oxygenation levels. Um, can you tell us a little bit about issues that you've come across um, with oxygen levels in water, or low oxygen levels in water? And how do you think could we remedy, remedy this going forward? Yeah, it sounds it sounds more impressive than, than it is, uh, Deirdre, because <laughs> I, I suppose... On our farm, and this is I learned, I'm always learning. I mean, on our farm, we're very lucky to put to have animal health monitoring systems, which is a rumen bolus, which measures yeah. a load of parameters. But one of the things is it's very sensitive to temperature. So every time a cow drinks, the bolus temperature drops and we can watch water intake. So it creates alerts based on uh, algorithms. So on one of our farms, we're continuously getting um, alerts on water. Uh, and, you know, there I was talking about water and there we had the problem. So the first thing was to look at the amount of water and we certainly didn't have enough troughs. So we put in more troughs and the water alerts didn't go down. So I'm very lucky, I suppose, to work with a lot, a lot of people in different areas of agriculture with expertise. And uh, John Paul Innes, uh, a good friend of mine, was had a little um, oxygen probe and he could measure it. Now, in fairness to the naked eye, as you move through our system of water troughs, you could see the deterioration in it. But we were measuring oxygen levels for because uh, the more stagnant and lower quality, the less oxygen. So the probe was getting lower and lower as we moved away from the source of our well, down to 0.5% from the last trough. Now, the naked eye would tell you was pretty poor. And they were the, they were the, they were the, the troughs that we, I, I culture a lot of environmental pathogens. So I suppose what we did was we looked at flow rates because flow rate will oxygenate water. Water pressure is really important. And we were trialing some oxidizing agents in the water. And when we did that, as soon as we switched on the oxidizing agent, the water intake alert stopped. So we controlled that. And it was inter really interesting for me because I was always about the space, the amount of troughs, 
but I didn't spend enough time looking at the quality itself. And look, it could be pretty straightforward. It's a flow issue because the more flow you have in water, and you know, some people will see uh, fish, for example, we put into water troughs, uh, which is, seems very, but again, what are fish doing? They're cleaning and they're taking out a lot of the anaerobic material, material and algae and they're keeping that water clean. Um, so really interesting. And I've seen that firsthand. And I suppose that's the beauty of um, the, the monitoring system as you see it. The problem is there and you, you create a solution and it goes away. And that's what has fascinated me about animal health monitoring systems is the information they're giving us about the cow that we, I probably didn't even think about. The unfortunate thing there, I suppose, is um, not every farm has those monitors. But what we would come across, I suppose, from the water quality side, 50% of our rivers are not quite up to the stat, want them at. Um, so even before you get to that truck situation where you extract the water out, uh, potentially some of the rivers are low in oxygen anyway. Um, and we have to get back to that root cause where we get the quality up um, so that the biological oxygen demand is, is not as high and that, that we have better oxygenated water before it even comes into the tank system. Yeah, and again, I think, and I'm not an expert, Cahill, I would like your opinion on this. So um, try to do a bit of research on it and, and looking at what, from a quality point of view, oxygen is really important in water, but it plays a really important role when we look at it in an oxidative capacity in the gut. So we talk about bad pathogens and good pathogens. We're, and I'm fascinated with the microbiome. We're trying to feed good bacteria in our systems and our cells and in animals. And having that extra oxygen in water is really, really important. Um, why, my question, I'm turning around, why are we seeing low oxygen levels in our rivers, for example? Yeah, and a lot of the issue is if you have say maybe organic matter getting in or you're getting lots of algae, it's taking that oxygen from the river. So what we're really trying to get back to, if we can get our status up, if we can reduce the amount of, um, I suppose, organic matter getting in, maybe if some slurry gets washed in or whatever else might make it washed in, reduce the amount of algae in the rivers as well, that will bring back to lots of invertebrates. It'll bring rivers or fish back into rivers. So we'll look at those less sediment, nice clean pebbles on the rivers, and that'll give us produce much more oxygenated water when it gets into those tank systems. But going back to the point we made earlier on, I suppose, um, if we keep putting maybe, well, it's, there's lots of different issues, but cattle walking into the river is just one of, of, of I suppose, uh, death by a thousand cuts. But it's just one of those things we can do to, to improve that. And like Deirdre said, again, uh, we have phosphorus issues and nitrate issues, but there's, there's lots of things solved, but a lot of good work has been done on it and continues to be done. And I suppose Deirdre mentioned the ASAP program, and we can see in some of the areas we're working in that there is improvements already in, in the last number of years, which is very positive. And also, I suppose, derogation farmers currently, um, a lot of them are required to move their water troughs away from the river. You have a 20 metre buffer between where the water trough um, is located and the river is. Um, I suppose water trough management, do we put enough emphasis on it in terms of design? and the location of where the troughs are for animal health, do you think, Tommy? Massive one, massive one. So we can talk about clean water, but uh, available water, but the cows have to get at it, okay? Yeah. And so versus herd size versus where you put it from, a, like even from a, you talk about poaching and, and, and free draining as soil, like positioning of the water trough, having enough space around it, particularly as our herds get bigger, that your less dominant animals can get in and drink water. 
um, and then having plenty of good flow rate there. Even like, and I saw it only recently on a trot that was way too high and the cows were, can't see this in the podcast, now we're doing this on Zoom, but the cows were stretching their necks in over the water trough. Like they were physically pressing in. So the, the height of our troughs, the space around it, where we position around particularly poaching maybe in higher areas, I know that can be an issue for water pressure, but it's massive. At and indoors, it's really a problem. You know, uh, you know those those quick small bowls that the cow can just put her muzzle into a couple of them. So particularly in beef finishing units, I see these small bowls. And okay, flow rate can be okay, but if you look at the natural cycle of how a cow drinks water, she laps with her tongue. She needs a certain depth of water. She needs to get at it. And she, if if it's in a position where she's struggling and fighting to get in there, she'll prefer to stay back and not drink that water. So it's really really simple but really important to get right. Another thing I suppose that we're trying to do in our job as well as ASAP advisors is where we're finding the pressure on the river body is drinking point access or phosphate or bank encroachment. We're trying to encourage farmers to put in um, solar pumps and nose nose pumps um, just to get them out of the water body. But I suppose some of them um, are finding, especially beef farmers, are finding the cost of it prohibitive at the moment, you know. So we're trying to encourage, we are trying to encourage um, farmers to try and get, you know, use this technology to get them out of the water courses. Just on that truck management, Tommy, um, like it's a job that people don't like at the start of the year, going out, cleaning out trucks, making sure it's nice and clean and scrubbed. What we used to do years ago, and it's been a while since I was on a farm, working properly on a farm, but we used to go around and if time was a little bit against us, we'd get a handful of rhino lime and throw it into the trucks and all the dirt that was in the trucks would settle at the bottom. Is that a bad thing or a good thing, do you know? Um, I, 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 look, I, I would have heard that before. I, I, not, I, I wouldn't be, what I've started doing and saying to people is using hydrogen peroxide actually, because it's actually a very good uh, disinfectant. If you look at uh, intensive uh, livestock systems, it's very interesting because biofilms and animals are indoors all the time. They're using a lot of hydrogen peroxide in their waterways to keep it clean. And, you know, people talk about hydrogen peroxide as, oh, God, why would you put that? But it, if you think of it, it elementally, it's H2O2. So when you often put it in, a free oxygen radical goes in. So it's a wonderful bioirrational um, cleaning agent. So it's something that I'm recommending at the moment for cleaning um, water troughs because it's not going to do any harm to the environment. Um, it's the right concentrations. It's quite safe. And it's, it's interesting you mention algae because our worst water troughs with our lowest oxygenation obviously had the most algal bloom in them. So, you know, they had the most growth. So getting in there and actually scrubbing them out, it's not a nice job. And people I'd say will be, if they're not switched off now, they say, this man's going to make our life a, 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 an incredibly difficult job. But that attention to detail will pay. I promise farmers that, that if you can get the element of water right, they will, cows will pay you back in production and help. I've no doubt about it. And it is that attention to detail on that simple element of water that really can pay. So anyone that was doing a bit of home bleaching over COVID will have a bit of hydrogen peroxide in the press anyway, to, <laughs> to clean out the trucks. It's a very interesting element, hydrogen peroxide, when you look at it from a cleaning perspective. And, it, you know, I, I, I read a good bit of studies on different farming systems to kind of get an idea of what's happening. And 
it's, it's really become incredibly popular in intensive systems to get rid of biofilm and to improve water quality. And what you see, in, and it's like, it's 30 parts per million or 20 parts per million, it's really small amounts, but it's an incredibly effective agent of doing that. And it's no harm at that level to certainly the animals or humans. It's actually a bio-rational product. And I think it'd be something of increasing popularity as we go forward and we look at options around water quality, potentially on farm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think getting clean water, I know I'm probably repeating myself, really for the cow's sake and making sure she's plenty access. And where, we, where the particular pinch points I see, and I know we're talking about rivers and streams and outside, is inside particularly when cows are in houses and rows of cubicles, we don't have enough water stations and space around them. And if you actually spend a bit of time watching cows, particularly our heifers will suffer, our less dominant cows, where a, a dominant bully cow can actually sta stand beside the water and she'll stand there, could be standing there for an hour and you just have a queue around her, they won't go near her. So having space around water troughs and having enough of them, certainly if you're building sheds is one of the key things. And I was on a farm yesterday um, and we were looking at another issue, but he had he he was halfway through a build, and I I, I pushed and put another water trough in there. He was given out to me, but he, he 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 we had that discussion. It's really really important from the cow perspective. So I suppose from your vlogs, I can see that you have a massive love of poetry, and you're quoting quite freely from Seamus Healy, and also you had a lovely quote from George Bernard Shaw: um, "The harder I work, the more I live." And I suppose you're certainly taking this ethos seriously in your work as a, in, in veterinary and also as an educator. So I'd like to wish you the very, very best of good luck in your future. And thank you for joining us today, Tommy. Thank you, Deirdre. And thank you, Carl. Great chat. And uh, look, it's great to have these conversations. I think, look, we're, we face lots of challenges, but like, I think let's focus on solutions. We've got so many of them there. And the big thing for me is, and look, we, we all see it in our own lives is, and uh, not to be getting too poetic on you, but but fear, people fear change. And that's a reality. And, you know, when you talk about moving animals out of rivers and, and streams, it's something you've been doing for years. It takes time. But um, discussions like these and podcasts like yourselves help people understand why we need to do it. Won't happen overnight, but, you know, I think it's, it's really important. So well done to both of you. Really enjoyed the catch up. Thanks a minute, Thanks. Tommy. And keep Thanks, up John. the great work. That's it for this episode of the Chagask Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Tommy Heffernan, veterinary consultant and educator based in Wicklow for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. And I'm Deirdre Lynn. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.